Welcome to Ladywood, the podcast where two huge fans of Deadwood and one newbie discuss the show through a feminist lens. My name is Lynn Sternberger. I'm a TV writer in Los Angeles. My name is Brandi Sperry, also a writer here in L.A. And my name is Dita Sean, a stand-up comic and writer. And it's been three long seasons. Today we are discussing the final episode of the third and what turned out to be the final episode of OG Deadwood. It is called Tell Him Something Pretty, written by Ted Mann and directed by Mark Tinker, which I was surprised it was not written or credited to David Milch, the creator of Deadwood. I feel like this is a sign that they didn't think this would be the last episode. Yeah. No, I don't think they did. I think they ended season three, assuming they were coming back for a slightly shorter season four. And then David Milch was said to HBO, like, no, if you're not going to let me do the whole thing, then we're not doing it. Whoa. I don't There's like competing stories about what happened behind the scenes that led to the cancellation of Deadwood. So I don't know if we'll ever know the truth. It's a little of a Rashomon situation. Well, uh, imagine watching this August 27, 2006. It has been almost 13 years uh, since this first aired. The camp <laughs> and the surrounding territories turn out to vote for the county elections, but the results may have already been decided. Hearst, his victory over Deadwood Looming, makes one last demand before he departs, which requires a final and painful sacrifice. R.I.P. Jen. <laughs> yeah, this is picking up from what what all happened last episode with the um, attempted assassination of Hearst by Trixie. Yeah, I really wanted them to come up with another plan than this. I really did. And I am glad that Johnny couldn't go through with it. Yes. My God. He stays pure. A pure small bean. (laughs) I felt so bad for him. And then I was also mad about the way other people were talking about Jen. It's like, you know that so many of these women on the periphery are really considered totally expendable but it's never been in such stark contrast to like well here's a woman that we decided was worth something and here's one that's not and so it's hard to hear those conversations these characters these male characters that we've like come to think more highly of as time passes and then you know that they could still do something like this it's it's a rough ending yeah a complicated ending it's also um, a little bit of a cynical setup because I remember earlier in the season, we were all uh, very, <laughs> not a Twitter, but, you know, like fond of Johnny teaching Jen how to read, teaching Jen de- these different things. And basically to the end that we would get this devastating emotional blow to Johnny and his defiance against Al. Like, I, I felt like the whole season of build up for Jen was just for us to have this moment where she dies. I agree. They wouldn't have given her the whole learning to read subplot if they hadn't decided that she was going to be important later. Because, I mean, the prostitutes are mostly nameless, interchangeable. And same thing goes with, I think, Sai and the setup with this new girl that he's calling stupid. And this final sequence as it plays out on his balcony um, with the murder of Leon and the almost murder of Janine. I refuse to call her stupid. Yeah. I forgot about this, but it does make me happy to know we won't have to see Leon in the movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, guy who plays Leon, but I'm over it. We know why Leon dies. Like, is it, it feels to me like Sai is just totally lost it. 
Yeah, I mean, not to throw back to how we love to talk about male symbolic impotence, but that's kind of what it is when he stabs a guy in order to feel something, right? I guess that's what it was. I mean, he certainly seems to feel a lot. To feel something where he's in power, I guess, rather than just reactive. I don't know. I don't know what the hell they're doing with Sai in these last couple episodes, and really these last couple seasons, but particularly here because there's so much other stuff going on that's way more interesting, and it's just like, why are we on this balcony with this guy right now? Yeah, Sai's kind of like over in the corner stabbing people that we don't care about, (laughs) is how I can describe his plot lines. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't know Janine to care about her. We care that she is so denigrated by her employer we don't understand it necessarily um but the only the last thing i really want to say about Sai, and then we can close the chapter on this fucker is that i really hated that Joni went to apologize to him and thank her for guiding her to where she is in life i was like okay this is re-scripting exactly what happened and is it really necessary that they leave on good terms with one another really Really? This is in a current moment in pop culture where last week, um, a couple weeks ago, we had the conversation with Game of Thrones fans about how Sansa uh, said to um, the the Hound that if she had not suffered, she would not be the person that she was today. (laughs) It's essentially the same kind of scenario replayed again, but just 13 years earlier where Joni thanks her abuser slash, you know, captor for the woman that she is today which is like what the fuck such a good parallel and it happens all the time like this trope is ridiculous yes in stuff that's written by men like she went through that in order to have to become a better person and it's like it's like everything from fucking way back in the day literature to fucking Lara Croft they have to do this too (laughs) It's yeah, it's irritating. And and also, we're not redeeming Sai in this episode. So why do we need this moment of, of potential redemption through the eyes of the woman that he had trapped into this terrible existence? Like, why? Yeah, at least with Sansa, the guys they're talking about had already gotten theirs, you know? Sai's just over here, like, existing. He hasn't <laughs> even been punished for what he did. It's stupid, and I wish it hadn't happened, and I wish that Joni and Jane could have had more plot between the two of them instead of a Joni sigh sequence, but whatever, I didn't write it. <laughs> Obviously. You and I'll never. forever be angry about that. Um, I wanted to mention that at the top of the episode, like, John Langrish does a really nice jo- job of recapping the season for us. <laughs> yes! <laughs> I was like, oh, the usefulness of the theater in this moment is is, is good. And then, and then the end of that scene, there was a super heavy-handed turning off of the lamp. <laughs> <laughs> I have to call out that as, like, least feminist moment, maybe, though. Maybe not with all the size stuff, but pretty pretty up there. Where all she says, all Claudia says is, like, I agree or something. And he's like, shut up! My train of thought! <laughs> it's like, oh my god. She's literally, like, she might as well be the head in the box that Al talks to at the end. (laughs) Female characters should not be substitutable for heads in boxes, guys. I hope we've made progress. I get a feeling that Claudia doesn't make it to the Deadwood movie. (laughs) Hopefully she's gone back to Denver, where she was very well received. 
Yes, but she's very wrong. And had gotten other offers. Do not forget. Do you think that Language knew I had other offers? I, I was like, forget. oh, conversation. <laughs> well, not end. Let's talk about a female character who got more to do and whose plot I think personally was handled better, which is Alma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we open on her angrily brushing Sophia's hair, which is funny in and of itself. But she is processing the fact that she's going to have to sell her claim to Hearst so that she and Sophia can stay in dead with, with, without fear of being murdered themselves. Oh, my God. Just leave. Just leave Deadwood. <laughs> yeah. Just leave. Fix it. Sell and get out, girl. Go take your gold and live a life. Christ. But she has the bank. And, yeah, I guess that's all she has at this point. She has the banks. Apparently, Sophia doesn't want to leave Ellsworth's grave or whatever. Like, oh, my God. Just get out. I was surprised that they did have her sign over the land. The whole thing is, I remembered that this was a bigger cliffhanger of an ending than it actually is. And it's not that it's dissatisfying because it's a cliffhanger. It's dissatisfying because Hearst wins. Yeah, the bad guy gets his. After all that, she has lost Ellsworth and she's lost the claim. Hearst just rides out of town. Seth walks up to him and makes one last threat while he's literally on the fucking cart leaving town. I mean, yeah. no one no one gets a moment to have their power over him in this episode. Like that moment when Trixie shot him last episode is the last moment when anyone gets to exert anything towards him. And after that, it's just all like they have to kill Jen. They have to give up the land. They don't get any revenge for Ellsworth. No one even really gets a good zinger in. Yeah. And then he just gets to ride off into the sunset. Yeah, it's it's a very punishing kind of brutal out for the characters that we've been rooting for for three seasons. Yeah, it's sad. (laughs) If Hearst gets his in the movie, uh, would we call that the slowest burn of payback (laughs) ever? They have to do something, right? I mean, there has to be some level of a little bit of fan service in this movie. Like, I want them to tell, uh, you know, an authentic tale, but also, like, some of this stuff is just, like, like you said, it's been 13 years. Let me see somebody actually shoot Hearst dead, please. Yeah, agreed. Something I did love that seemed like a win, although it was still emotional and tied up in bad stuff, was the fight between Trixie and Saul. She's lacing up her boots. She's going to go give hand jobs at the polls to try to, <laughs> to try to swing votes. I think, I think that was a joke, but yeah, you, know, I know. you can never really tell with Trixie. <laughs> She's just sick of being of being hidden inside away from her size. Yeah. And so she's ready to uh, face the music or whatnot. And Saul, of course, is like, you cannot do that. You will die. And uh, he ends up throwing her out, which good on you, Saul. And then we hear the knock at the door. And it takes I think it takes a lot for Trixie to basically come back to him and mm-hmm. be like, I don't want to die and I know you care about me. And seeing them like cry in one another, another's arms felt like fan fiction. So I was a fan of it. I love their love. Yeah, I think in a lot of circumstances, this is a scene that I wouldn't like for a woman, right? To be like, oh, he got mad and now I'm coming back. But they have such a role reversal in their relationship of who's the aggressive one and who's the caretaker. And it it just really works for those two yeah. because, you know, we've been rooting for them 
all along. And yeah, that was one of the most satisfying scenes of the episode for sure. And it works and it, it still clings to like it's still feminist, even though it is her crying in her boyfriend's arms. It still feels like a natural conclusion to the arc that we've been witnessing Trixie go through for three seasons, which is to have a relationship with a man that is built on mutual affection and respect. Totally. I mean, there's just a lot of other circumstances where this could have played badly and been like, a woman has to throw her, show her strength through vulnerability, but it's Trixie. So all, everything that we've seen her done really does mean this is a moment of strength. I mean, ironically, totally. it's like the exception that proves the rule or something. She does need to show strength through vulnerability. Yeah, and it just goes to show there isn't one prescriptive right way to write an empowering female arc. The vulnerability that Trixie shows in sort of the final scene with Saul is, I think, one that we've been waiting for because, like, a sh a Trixie almost has let no one in her in her life that, that has seen her at her weakest moments except for Saul. So, like, it was really satisfying to see because that meant that her, she was able to access her emotions and realize that she needs something outside of herself, which happens to be a person that loves her back. And that's that's really satisfying to see for a character that, I mean, has had seven abortions and has worked at a whorehouse for most of her adult life and whose only, who's only real, like, emotional anchors was Al Swerdin. Like, mm -hmm. come on. <laughs> like, that dude yeah. was not about to give anything for her <laughs> and if we recall the end of the pilot it was her crawling naked into bed with her abuser mm -hmm. uh, yes so this is not that this is a really admirable relationship in the context of deadwood this is the moment that makes me think that they're still going to be together in the movie for sure i hope so i for sure hope so so other side note things the town turns out to vote we get a scene of uh, racial flare-up with the general. It's it, it's just, it's there and done. The problem with that scene for me, I, I don't mind spending a little extra time with the general. I've come to really like him as a character. Is that it's all about how great Charlie is to stand up for him. Which, yeah. like, we already like Charlie. We don't need this, like, white savior moment for him. It's really yeah. awkward. I do like that one guy who's always pontificating at the number 10, like, reciting the constitution to the the assholes that are there but that's just because it's a fun funny moment for him to but yeah i don't know why we needed to see this or why this needed to be the send-off for fields and i wonder like if they had had known that season three was going to be the last don't you think these elections would have happened like yes. at least six episodes ago yeah, we would have had the results of the elections. I don't know. And then the general is obviously still carting Steve around. That was a surprise. The Steve lives. He still lives. I guess you can be a potato and still survive in Deadwood. I don't know. I mean, talk about kind of symbolic writing that he's still a burden on General Fields even after his death, you know? Yeah, or after his uh, comatose state or whatnot. Yeah, right. Yeah, you're right. It is symbolic. Um, Jane gets drunk because she doesn't do well with funerals. Ellsworth has been buried. Everybody's in black. We don't see it, but we can intuit it. That's an interesting choice that they don't see it. That we don't see it. Is it just yeah. because time has passed here? Because we do have a, a tiny bit of, you know, last magical timeline thing 
in that the Wu's men are arriving when he said very clearly it was going to take 10 days, and it really doesn't seem like 10 full days have passed. Yeah. So I was wondering, is is the, are they in mourning wear because they're going to the funeral or just because now they're going to wear mourning wear for a year? Oh, I thought it was... I thought it was the day of the funeral and we just weren't seeing the funeral because uh, it felt like it felt like Sophia was being babysat by Jane. But I guess that had to do more with the exchange of the bank and the money and the stuff. I don't know. I'm not sure. I think maybe they filmed a funeral and it never got into the episode because it wasn't necessary. But yeah. How many speeches do we need to hear that are like that? Yeah. Yeah. We've already gotten quite a few. Although Ellsworth was deserving of all of the sort of admirable speech stuff that would have inevitably been said uh, at his graveside. Anyways, Jane gets drunk. Joni brings her Bill's bearskin coat, which Charlie has gifted to them. Is this lesbianism? You bring your bearskin coat and you, (laughs) that's it. I guess so. And they're spooning. Sure. Mm -hmm. That's the uh, natural next step. In the evolution of the lesbian relationship. <laughs> One brings the bearskin coat, then you spoon. And, uh, yeah. And that is uh, how you make a baby. That's a wrap <laughs> on that. I'm super curious about where we're going to find them in the feature. Because they're both in the movie. So, what the hell has gone down? I can't imagine them having a conventional kind of marriage. But maybe that would be... I mean, marriage in quotation marks. Because there was no gay marriage back in right. Deadwood. But, like... <laughs> That would be very interesting to see play out. Where will they be? I don't know. Uh, can we talk about the... <laughs> I, I know you don't want to talk about this, Lynn. The Silas Adams and Hawkeye subplot <laughs> of this. This was the most <laughs> stupid of all the things. I mean, maybe I should watch my language because I really do respect <laughs> in general what they managed to do with Deadwood. But what a, what a non-ending this is. <laughs> Well, we got the men, but then we lost some men, and then we got drunk, and those men will never appear on screen. But they do very briefly at the end. They visually call it out because they've made sure to let you know that one of them is a little person. They don't use that phrase. They use a slur, of course. And so later when they show a group of men where one of them is a little person, you're like, oh, those are the people that Hawkeye brought. Okay, got oh, it. Oh, gotcha. And that just, had not even occurred to me. I Somehow I missed all of that. And they're just standing around. Well, because you black out when Adam yes, is talking. That's true. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> but we do briefly see those men. And they don't do anything, nor do no. those men, because then hers just ends up leaving, and it's very anticlimactic. Which, yeah. it's not that I wanted to see a gunfight where a bunch of people are going to die or anything, but... To bring back the Game of Thrones parallels, it's a little battle of Winterfell where you're expecting to lose a lot of your favorite characters, and then it's just this is a couple minor ones. Well, Ellsworth was in the last episode, so now it's like it's nobody, just Jen, poor Jen, Jen and Leon, and oh, oh and Leon, yeah. <laughs> there are a couple things I wanted to mention that happened in this episode that feel like they were meant to be closure, like we get the fire engine. The fire engine has arrived. But did the hats arrive? We never get an answer on that. No, we don't know about the hat. That's the ultimate cliffhanger. 
Yep. <laughs> we we pop in on Richardson and Aunt Lou again, and and I really like their mutual respect for one another. Uh, Aunt Lou, I think was she dressing him in the scene or yeah. helping him getting him gussied up to go vote. Yeah, but again, it does feel like this character has always been an afterthought, uh, Aunt Lou, I mean, because her grief over the loss of her son is never touched on again. Well, and uh, I mean, that's Odell's body that they're talking about that has arrived at the freight office, right? And yet we never Mm. do anything with that. Yeah, it seems like an oversight. At least we should have had an Aunt Lou moment with her son's body. Like, she yeah. had more moments of fear for her son. Like, I mean, her most of her story arc has been her fear of Hearst and then her fear for her son. So for us to not get that reaction of Aunt Lou when she knows about Odell, like, I totally missed that, too. I didn't realize that the body was Odell's. I Guys, was like, oh. I'm just going to pitch it one more time. Pitching it one more time. What if instead of Hearst leaving on his little horse and carriage buggy thing at the end of the episode, what we do is we see him eating Aunt Lou's pie and then we see his dead body slumped <laughs> over the table with his face in the pie. I love it. What? Yeah. Let him be eating the pie as he roll, wa- rolls out of town and then he starts choking and he falls off the carriage with everyone oh. watching into the mud. There we go. I mean, this would have been... it ironic because he's been the big bad of the entire season and Mm -hmm. it would have been cathartic because he deserves to die at her hand a hundred percent he's had his thumb on her the entire time and god it would have felt amazing and then at the same time as he slumped over in his wagon dead we also see the acting troupe also leaving town (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're trying to clean up it the rest of this for the next season? Get out of here. <laughs> Con Stapleton sees Leon and just leaves town, too, to save his own life. Everybody that we don't like leaves town or dies. And then who, like, <laughs> approaches the body in the thoroughfare and just kicks him over with his boot. And he's like, yep, he's dead. Guess I don't have to deliver that prepared speech. <laughs> I will drag you by the ear again, sir. <laughs> it's your only move. That's all he's got. <laughs> Well, we don't get that. <laughs> Instead, we get this. Instead, we get this. And it's not a bad finale, but it is just, as a series finale, a little dissatisfying. Uh, totally. And we've had a lot of fun complaining about the stuff that we don't like, but, I mean, I love this show overall so much. Yeah, I mean, what what surprised me was how inflated the female roles were in my mind because there had been complex parts for women, but when you lay it all out, like their screen time is so minimal compared to yeah. what I thought it was. And I think if it had been rebooted in this day and age, hopefully that would be addressed. Yeah. Uh, certainly because they're fan favorite characters. Absolutely. Yeah. Any other final thoughts? Oh, I, I don't think I ever told told you all this, but in my speech to text where I keep notes on the episodes, every time I write sigh, the text note writes it as P-S-Y. <laughs> like the Korean dance sensation. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's a so mashup. In all, of my text, in all of my Deadwood notes, whenever I look back, I see Psy like Gundam style. <laughs> what an amazing anecdote. On that note, this has been 
such a weird adventure through an old show. I, we didn't know what we were going to get out of it, except we thought it would be an enjoyable thing to watch all together. And I think it was. Absolutely. Yeah, it definitely was. Uh, and I have- thank you and Brandy for bringing me on this uh, this adventure through the olden times. Our I think uh, I heard a lot of a lot of Asian slurs, but then also a lot of anti-Semitism too. Yeah, <laughs> and then a lot of uh, racism, misogyny. But all of, yeah, it was all there. It was all there for the sake of uh, historical accuracy. And I'm glad I I got to watch it with. Uh, uh, an audience that could appreciate how terrible it all was back then. <laughs> Indeed. I mean, I feel like this is not the version of Deadwood that we would write, uh, but it has been very interesting to analyze from our perspectives, which is, which are very clearly like feminist and, you know, not racist, ideally, <laughs> on, the, on our best days. Aware of trying to very much not be racist. At least. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's, I think, a fair analysis. Um, I, we never told the origin story of the thing, did we? Which was that we were all at a, an event and Robin Weigert was there and we were like <laughs> talking about how amazing Deadwood was and, and how we wish there was more of it. And this was before the movie was announced and everything. Yeah. yeah, we've been talking about wanting to do this podcast for a while. And then when they finally announced the movie, we were like, I guess we better do it. Yeah, I so, guess we got to do it. So we'll be back for one more episode to discuss that. Thank you, brave listeners, for getting this far with us and or, you know, abandoning us and you'll never hear this. Yeah, fuck um, you, fuck <laughs> Until then, you can find us on Twitter at LadyWoodCast. You can find me at WeBrandi, O-U-I-B-R-A-N-D-I. I'm at Lynn Sternberger. And I'm at Slowbear, S-L-O-B-E-A-R. And thank you for listening to us for all, how many episodes do we have? 36. 36. 36 episodes. Thank you, guys. Looking back, all the memory of the dance we shared. Stars above for a moment, all the world was right. How could I have known that you'd ever say goodbye? And now I'm glad I didn't know the way it all would end, the way it all would go. Our lives are better left to chance I could have missed the pain That I'd have had to miss The dance